Welcome back to Talk Talk in 10, listeners. I'm one of your hosts, Teacher Nina Hall. I'm your other host, Pastor Nina, also a teacher. I know. I like that. I just called myself Teacher <laughs> Nina teacher Hall. Nina it's Hall. been a long week, guys. It's been a long week. <laughs> um, so it is like 3.30 on a Friday afternoon, and I'm giving you that context because we are about to call one of my very dear friends. Um, his name is Andrew. And he is kind of like a brother to me. He's also probably one of the smartest people I know. Um, I think that he's like a part-time superhero. And I know. <laughs> and he um, is also the person that I turn to when I have all these questions about like how the natural sciences and religion can come together, which is a topic that we've been talking about in our TOK classes. Yep. Yeah. Um, so can we give him a call? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Mm. Okay. Oh my gosh, we're calling. Hello. Hello. Oh my God, Andrew, hi. Hi, Nina. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I'm just fine. Thank you. It's nice to hear you. Queen, I'm so happy to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, can you tell us? where are you? What, what's it like where you are? So I'm in Scotland in the United Kingdom and it's super dark outside. It's about 7.30 in the morning on Friday and I am having a coffee and really enjoying speaking with you. Oh my God, this is so fun. What's the temperature outside? Baltic. Absolutely Baltic. <laughs> <laughs> Baltic versus balmy here where it's definitely about to rain. We get like a, the everyday 3.30 rain. <laughs> That is so fantastic. We have two temperatures in in Scotland. We have Baltic and we have freezing. And at the moment, it's Baltic. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it is still January. I forget. Hey, Andrew, this is my co-host, Paris. Hey, Paris. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I know, especially during pandemic, like lockdown style. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew, for for taking the time to do this, especially on a... 7.30 7.30 in the morning, that's, that's going I know, I Thanks for having I feel like, me. I feel like students, Thanks. listen up. He's here at 7.30 in the morning. Where are you? You come to my class at 8 in the morning. Like, <laughs> come on, get your coffee too. Let's do this. <laughs> hey, so Andrew, um, to sort of contextualize what we're talking about and what we have been talking about in TOK class, we have been talking a lot about religion as a theme, as a way that it, like, affects um, – our knowledge systems. And then in the last week or two, or maybe next week, actually for some listeners, we're getting into the natural sciences. So I find it really fun to juxtapose these two knowledge systems. And actually I say juxtapose, but I shouldn't. What I really mean is to like compare them, but then see how they come together. Um, So some of my students had some really great questions this week and I didn't feel like I was expert enough to answer them. So I'm turning to you as an expert. Could you tell us about, like, why would I turn to you? Who are you? (laughs) Well, I'll be happy to try. I'll be happy to try. And thanks again for having me. So um, by way of introduction, my name is Andrew. I was born in the United States. I grew up in France. I did my undergraduate degree in linguistics at the University of Paris. And then I did a master's degree in theological studies at McCormick Seminary at the University of Chicago. 
And then I moved to London in the United Kingdom. I became British. And now I work as the managing director of an international consultancy firm that provides center of government reform, financial services, and humanitarian relief to some of the most complex and challenging environments in the world. Oh my gosh, there's like That's a so thousand funny. reasons yeah. that like we at UWC so cool. should be calling you. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so our first question that we're really trying to lay the foundation with is what makes a person an expert in religion? It's a great question. And I think it's a good starting point. And I also think it's important, first of all, to distinguish or separate religion from theology. So those are two mm. separate con contexts and topics. Theology, of course, is the study of God and the study of knowledge around deity and the being of God. And religion we see as the practice of a belief system. So whereas we can understand God in a historical or in an academic context, religion is the practice of that belief and how that group of beliefs comes together in the form of community or in the form of worship or in the form of living so to be an expert mm -hmm. in religion could be wholly different from being an expert in theology and if you take for example mm -hmm. someone who's trained in theology and who's been to university and has a degree either a bachelor's a master's or a doctorate in theology they may not really know very much about religion and vice versa so if if you take, for example, in my faith tradition, which is Christianity and Protestant Presbyterianism, if I look, for example, at the historical Jesus that we know academically, he didn't have mm -hmm. a theology degree. So he wasn't an expert in theology, but we could argue that he was an expert in religion. So he knew quite Good a lot. About, yeah. So he knew quite a lot about the faith. But if he mm -hmm. could have talked sort of on a philosophical, theological level about the interpretation of the ancient texts, maybe not so much. So I think as a starting mm -hmm. point, it, it, it's important to separate those two. Um, and yeah. certainly they're linked, but they are very different topics. Oh, mm -hmm. such a good point. Okay, so um, can you be in religion, can you be an expert um, without having any formal or education? Is that sort of what you're saying here? Well, I think so. And I, I, think, I think the question really comes to what around what an expert is. And if that's around knowledge, for example, or if that's around experience, um, again, it, it, it's really how we define expertise. Um, I, know, I know lots and lots of people who don't have a formal education in things, but they are decidedly experts in their fields um, and mm -hmm. vice versa. I know a lot of people who have really, really, really great educations, but they're not very bright. So um, I think <laughs> I, without being unkind. So I think, again, it, it, it's important to separate those too. And yes, I, I, I think so. And again, my my opinion is one of many, but I think a person sure. can be an expert in religion and in the practice of a religious faith without having a formal academic education in that sense. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. That kind of fits in with our big question, right, in terms of personal experience and its relation to knowledge. Yeah. How that might be something that's very relevant in the knowledge of an expert. Right. Yeah. 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 Our, our personal experience. So true. So can you give us some like, I'm, I'm assuming that a pastor would be an expert in uh, religion and theology? 
You would hope so, yes. So a pastor, <laughs> a pastor who would lead a congregation of any faith tradition, whether it's Christianity, Islam, Judaism, doesn't matter, will hopefully have studied theology. So from an historical academic perspective, they will, like me, have studied Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Latin, in order to really be able to read those ancient texts that relate mm -hmm. to the faith tradition and to be able to draw meaning out of of those texts and out of that experience. Now, in addition to the academic side of theology and of course religion, um, we as ministers or pastors also have a breadth of education that covers a number of different things, including social work and pastoral care and even finance. So looking after a group of, or a large group of people in a building in the grounds where those people come together. So it's really quite broad. And I think um, oh, you have three sort of sets of people. You have religion, experts, you have theology experts, and then you have pastors who are really, or, or priests in the Catholic tradition, um, or rabbis, um, who are, are really sort of in the thick of it with the people in the day to day. So those are the three different sort of buckets that I would categorize men and women of, of faith. Oh, that is such a good point. I hadn't thought about separating them into the, sort of those three categories here. What about um, where, like, where else are people looking for their evidence? I, I guess the real question here is like, what counts as adequate or good or valuable um, evidence in religion? I, I'm assuming people can go to their pastors and their priests, but is, is a holy text, is that where people go to for evidence? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. And it's one um, that I think we as humans have have wrestled with and explored and struggled with for thousands and thousands of years. And of course, I don't have any better answer than any of the other experts, as we call them. Um, but I think there are two types. For me, there are two types of evidence, let's say, especially if we look at evidence in the context of the natural sciences and evidence mm -hmm. in the context of theology or religion. And to mm -hmm. my mind, when we look at the natural sciences, we can understand on a very molecular or perhaps biological physics-based level how things are. So for example, mm -hmm we know scientifically on an evidential basis that we can quantify with uh, the tools of empirical evidence how it is that the earth rotates on an axis around the sun. And that's, that's just simply a fact. And in addition to that, there are knock-on facts, right? So we know that seasons, at least in Scotland and the UK, I don't know about Singapore, but at least in <laughs> seasons where we have summer, spring, winter, and fall, those come about or those happen, let's say, based on our understanding of the Earth's revolutions around the sun on its axis. And when, when it's farther away from the sun, things become a little bit colder, like in Scotland. And when it's closer to the sun, it becomes a little bit warmer, like in Singapore, and where places are on the planet in relation to the equator. And such. So, so those are very scientific, I think, academic understandings of reality. So that's one sort of simple example of evidence based on the natural sciences. And I think, you know, in terms of the theory of knowledge, we can understand evidence as being quantifiable, 
as being measurable, as being testable. So certainly in, um, for, for example, if um, biology class, you know, we can test with certain chemicals and experiments and we know that if we add vinegar to baking soda, there will be a chemical reaction. And that's just a fact and we can rely on that to happen every single time. So in that sense, that's scientific evidence. What I think theology tries to explore is the reasons behind or the meaning behind those things and how we derive a sense of meaning from them. And then religion puts those into practice. So for example, <laughs> if we look academically at, let's say the historical Jesus. So we have, or, or any of uh, faith leaders, right? We have texts and those texts are verifiable. We can see them with our own eyes and we have numerous records. So it's repeatable or it can be tested. It happens again and again yeah. that we have, documentary evidence of things that occurred. Now, right. we also have, for example, in the Christian tradition, some uh, texts that talk about miracles happening or things uh, that maybe Jesus did back in the day that today are like way far-fetched, like no way, man. Like that's just not possible <laughs> on a scientific basis. Like nobody's gonna part the Red Sea today. Like it's impossible, right? right? <laughs> but I think, from a theological perspective, in terms of evidence, we take the historical verifiable um, evidence that we can gain and we apply in theology what we call experiential knowledge. So what that means is that even though it's not likely on a very scientific physical level that the Red Sea could part right now, or that somebody could part mm -hmm. the Red Sea, we can derive a certain sense of meaning from that story and apply it to our lives today in an effort to live a good life in line with the teachings of whatever faith tradition we, we espouse. And I think mm -hmm. those are, again, coming back to the three buckets, I think those, I think that's the important part is to segregate those three, whereas science deals with evidentiary fact, Theology mm -hmm. deals with experiential fact and religion puts it all into practice. And in that way, mm -hmm. I don't think, at least for me anyway, that the theory or science, the concept of natural sciences is necessarily or by definition in conflict with evidence based on a derivation of the facts in theology or religion. I think those two exist hand in hand. And, you know, one yeah. of the one of the biggest topics, I think, in our time is perhaps um, the crisis of climate change. You know, we can see that with our own eyes and we can quantify and measure the change in temperatures and we understand and believe mm -hmm. that's an important word in this topic. We believe yeah based on the evidence we have that climate change is probably pretty real. Now right. it's up for debate, of course, in some circles, but generally if we accept that that's a pretty real thing and we quantify it based on the science, on the natural science, that's just a fact and it's difficult to refute. Now what theology would do is say, what do we as people of faith need to do in light of this fact if we have been called for example to be stewards of the earth if we have a responsibility as humans to look after the earth and to protect it and to care for it and to sustain it for future generations for our children what does mm -hmm. that mean and what do the teachings that we have read from these historical factual texts mm -hmm. that we talked about earlier 
what do they teach us to do and how do we go about living a good life in this world in light of the facts? So it, that's, a, that's a pretty simple example about how evidence in the natural sciences really complements evidence in the theological or religious world and vice versa. Oh, that's so interesting to me, Andrew. I really like this idea of, um, of that science, the natural sciences, this evidential uh, knowledge system, I guess, can then be put into practice in religion by looking at like the meaning behind it and the application of your experiential knowledge so that you can go forth into the world with like reconciling purpose, I guess, mm -hmm. I guess for these scientific that's theories. Really, yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to put it, Nina. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. So I, I can totally understand in my head how this can work for a person right now when we're thinking about things that are happening around us right now. I think for me and for some of my students, we're asking similar questions is, well, how do you reconcile like some of the historical stories with um, theories in the natural sciences right now, such as evolution versus creationism? Yeah, and I, I think second to, to, to perhaps the climate change crisis, I think the, the question of evolutional theory and evolutionary theory and um, the natural sciences theory um, or creationism, as it's called in theology, is probably one of the one of the most challenging questions of our time. Mm -hmm. For me, again, um, I, I don't see evolution as being in conflict with theology or an understanding of the derivation of the meaning behind the text. So for example, and I, I, ha I keep referring back to the Christian text because that's simply my experience and that's my sure. history. But um, in the Christian text, if we look, for example, in the Bible at the book of Genesis, there's the story of creation about how God created the earth and the universe and the world in seven days. Right. And if we go before the Christian text, which we don't often do, but if we go before the Christian text, there's actually a predecessor to Genesis called the Epic of Gilgamesh. And that is also a creation story. And that's something like five or 10,000 years before the Christian texts were written. So this whole concept of evolution um, and of creation has existed far, far, far longer than just the Christian texts alone. And mm -hmm. again, to my mind, the two aren't really in conflict. So could it happen today that somebody could create a universe just by willing it into being? I have my doubts, if I'm honest. I, I don't know if that's really the case. <laughs> sure. But I think that's also missing the point. I think that religion or faith or theology to an extent looks to explore the questions of spirituality where science isn't able to measure them and where we okay. can't necessarily in science quantify something on a very material empirical evidence basis. So here's an example of that. Uh -huh. We've all had uh, friendships and relationships in our lives and our parents of course love us or we have boyfriends and girlfriends for example. There's no real way I don't think to quantify, to measure in millimeters or in centimeters or in inches and feet a person's love, let's say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we can see it with our eyes and we can feel it, but there's no way to measure feeling, of course, necessarily. And so mm -hmm. I think that's the that's the correlation here. But 
simply because we can't measure it, because we can't measure feeling or we can't measure a sense of love or quantify on an, ex on an evidentiary basis, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I mean, we certainly feel it. We all feel it, right? And we all strive for it and we all want it. And so I think that's the differentiation, whereas the natural sciences look um, at the questions of empirical evidence in an effort to quantify and to materialize and to add structure and knowledge around things that are very factual. I think theology and religion look to do the same for things that can't be quantified or measured or um, mm -hmm. can only really be experienced from a belief system in that sense. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. So am I understanding correctly that um, it sounds like what you're saying is that religion or maybe theology, but I think religion live lives on like the fringes of science. Like what can't be explained by science is explained by religion um, in that story-based sense. And then it's put into practice for purpose. I think so. I think that's absolutely okay. right. That the two are, are very different things and they exist side by side and they don't look to cancel each other out or in some ways really complement each other. I think, I think they're two different exercises. I'll give you a really good example um, that happened mm -hmm. just this morning. I was looking for my favorite jumper and we all have a favorite something, whether it's shoes or a dress or something. I was looking for my yeah. favorite jumper. And if you could see me now, you'd see that it looks fantastic. So, um, <laughs> I couldn't find my favorite jumper this morning and it wasn't in the chest of drawers where it usually lives. It wasn't in the living room. I looked in the spare bedroom. It wasn't there. I even went to the car because I thought maybe I took it off and I left it in the car. It wasn't there. That jumper was gone. <laughs> I couldn't find that jumper. And on a scientific natural sciences level, if we come back to the question, I could, I could validate on a very scientific level on a molecular physics based position that jumper did not exist it used to of course I mean I remember wearing it but mm -hmm. right here and now it doesn't exist it's not there and I can prove it mm -hmm. and so on the basis of that moving into the theology or the religion side of things yeah. I needed to find a reason mm -hmm. what happened to this jumper somebody must have taken it maybe the dog ate it I don't know mm -hmm. what happened to it, but it's not here. I needed to find a reason, an explanation for something that I simply couldn't quantify. And of course, like any human, my mind went straight to, well, obviously my housekeeper took it. Yeah, but why would my housekeeper take my jumper? That doesn't make any sense. She's a woman anyway. It wouldn't fit her. So that doesn't make any sense. But it's the only logical explanation because I can't quantify any other explanation right now. Mm -hmm. It's gone. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, I believed based on the facts that I had, Mm -hmm. something had happened and mm -hmm. I needed to put some meaning behind it because we as humans in the human condition we don't really like to not understand things we like to put things in a box and we like to really tie them up with a pretty bow and have them have them clear and concise and articulated mm -hmm. and I couldn't do that so I came up with an alternate reality to what had happened mm -hmm. to this jumper so it's a belief system in that sense yeah I had another look and it was right in the chest of drawers underneath a different shirt. I just couldn't see it. <laughs> I was just going to ask. I'm really curious about the mystery of the jumper now. Oh, I'm so glad you found it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank heavens I found my jumper. But I think, I think those, 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 that's, a, that's a really basic, of course, a really simple um, example of the difference between understanding the natural sciences. So I could quantify that my jumper was missing on a very molecular level, but I right. believed from a theological perspective right. or from a religious perspective, what had happened. 
And in future, looking at religion, specifically to your question about religion, being a uh, practice of a set of beliefs, I was going to do something about it. So mm-hmm. I was going to have a word with my housekeeper and I'm going to hide all of my favorite jumpers so she can't take them again. <laughs> so I think that's where religion comes in as a practice. Now, of course, hopefully religion is a, is a force for good or the practice of a person's understanding of a theological concept can be, can be a force for good or a force for change in the mm-hmm. world and not something negative. Like I had a thought this morning about my jumper. But I think... Um, Again, coming back to your question, Nina, I think the natural sciences um, Mm -hmm. and the evidence-based nature of natural sciences is not in conflict with the belief system or the questions around meaning or spirituality derived from those facts. And so Mm -hmm. um, in that sense, I think, you know, a person necessarily can, for example, be a scientist Mm-hmm. but also believe in a higher power or a greater being or the mm-hmm. meaning behind some of the teachings of people who did, in fact, believe in a higher power or a greater being than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And those two, those two really live in tandem, and I think in pretty good harmony if we understand them both relatively well. I find that so enlightening, actually, that um, this idea that, okay, the natural sciences can live in tandem with religion because one is explaining things in this like evidential molecular, molecular, (laughs) there it is, (laughs) level, while the other one is sort of putting into practice, like what is the meaning behind it and what do we do with that information to do good in the world? But Mm -hmm. I'm still struggling with this idea of what do we do with theories that are really popular in the natural sciences. Um, And I I am not very fluent in religion. So I'm going to go back to my example of like creationism, uh, sorry, in in religion and a a popular theory in the natural sciences, like evolution. Is it possible to, I mean, obviously there's so many different um, interpretations of different religions. So I can see that, that, Many people could be scientists and religious. Now I see that much better, thanks to our conversation. Um, But is it also possible that some other people who take religion or these practices more literally would have to really choose between a religious knowledge and a natural science knowledge? That's a great question. And I think it's an important point that actually a person's understanding or interpretation of those texts really influences by definition their relationship with the understanding of the natural sciences. So for Mm -hmm. example, um, again, coming back to the Christian texts in in the canon or in the Bible, a person could read some of those texts and understand them literally. So for example, in, in the Christian Bible, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the New Testament, it talks about, for example, a number of pretty controversial topics, but it talks about how you should keep a slave and what you must do in order to treat that slave well. Now, today, in the West, at least, we don't believe in slavery. In fact, we have laws against it. So Mm -hmm. how do we reconcile that text that we can read in the original language quite clearly with Mm -hmm. what we live today in terms of ethics and morals and laws? They're they're in stark contrast with each other. Right, right. And what, what we say in theology is that religious texts, whether it's the Bible or anything else, um, the Quran, for example, are formative and normative, 
which means they influence our understanding, but they aren't our understanding in and of themselves. So I don't, of course, believe in slavery at all. But what I derive from that text is that even when you have someone working for you, you still have to treat them well and you still have to be kind and that they should, for example, have fundamental rights of freedom and self-determination mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And so while some mm. people, of course, take a literal interpretation, coming back to your question, Nina, about creationism, mm -hmm. um, of course, some, some people take a literal interpretation. And I think insofar as a person takes a literal interpretation of a certain text, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. I think that necessarily predicates or prohibits them from reconciling the natural sciences with theology. Now, faith is a completely different story. So I had faith that my jumper had been stolen. I just knew it was gone, but it wasn't mm -hmm. in the end. And that right. was just based on the evidence or on the facts that I had at the moment. And I think it's the same with literal interpretations of ancient texts and of what we know today in the natural sciences. And I think at least in the Christian tradition and the Protestant and certainly my Presbyterian tradition, we mm -hmm. believe in a way that God of course brought about the universe and gave humans, men and women, brains and the capacity and the intellect to understand the continuing evolution of life. And in that understanding of the continuing evolution of life, how to bring it about and how to care for it as stewards of the earth that we're called to be. Oh, that, that I like, I had an epiphany moment while you were talking, you may have heard me be like, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I can see that from what, what it sounds like you're explaining here is that this formative and normative explanation means that these holy texts are meant to sort of be adaptive, or that's one interpretation of them at least. And with being able to adapt like these stories or this knowledge, these, um, yeah, these books into our modern context, then we can use this as sort of a rule book to guide our ethics and morals. Am I understanding correctly? I think that's one really important and good interpretation, yes. And there's, to, to my mind, again, which is my, my opinion is one of many, but I think there's very little value in, for example, a literal interpretation of the ancient text because it doesn't really serve us in the modern world. And I think it misses the point in, again, the Christian teachings, um, which are to do justice and to love kindness and to walk with humility through this life. And each of those teachings, irrespective of the methods that we use mm -hmm. um, to get across that message, the importance really um, in terms of living a good life and understanding religion as a practice of those buckets or that consortium of teachings is really about how we apply them in modern day life. And so we can take examples and we have, we have parables and um, cautionary tales, we say, for example, mm -hmm. um, the boy who cried wolf. I mean, if there was ever a boy who actually cried wolf, I don't really know. But the moral of the story is that right. you should always be honest, because if you're not honest, people won't always believe you. And then you when you need help, they might not be there to help right. you. Right. So if that story happened, I don't really know. But it's an important story because it teaches us how to live a good life in relationship with other people and in community in the world. And that's what I think the importance of religious texts and the practice of theology from an academic perspective, uh, really re where it really holds meaning. And in relationship or alongside at the same time in tandem, we can understand on a very scientific 
basic factual level, the natural sciences equally, and the two don't cancel each other out. I think in yeah. many ways, they really complement each other. Yeah, I see that so much more clearly now, thanks to our conversation. Hey, I have one last question for you. Um, sure. We met in my hometown of Colorado Springs, and I have read a lot of articles right now about um, members from the church that was down the road, the New Life Church, who take Psalms 91 quite literally. And Psalms 91 is the one that talks about how God will protect you and he'll be there by your side, no matter whether like a plague comes down, um, but that God is here to punish the wicked. And they are doing things like not wearing face masks and going out in public and coming together at the church actually, um, because they are taking that quite literally. So what do you say to a person who is like more literal in their religion than you are like this? Well, in that example, and I think that the pandemic is a pretty popular topic these days. Um, I, think, I think in that example, I would say as a person of faith and as a person who wants to do good in the world and who wants to care for other people, it's one thing to, to believe um, that Psalm 91, literally, that God will protect us and care for us and punish um, people who, who do bad things. So that's one thing to understand. Um, but an, but an, it's wholly different for me to believe that and yet to understand on a scientific level that wearing a mask can prevent, for example, the aerosols from spreading and someone else contracting COVID-19 mm -hmm. and becoming sick and possibly dying. And so my interpretation of that is that although it's, it's important to understand that there's always someone or something looking out for us and that everything is going to be okay because of that, nevertheless, we have an obligation and a duty of care to mm -hmm. look out for other people through kindness and generosity and acts of service and justice. And in this instance, coming back to your question of the natural sciences, we can understand on a very academic level how diseases transmit, particularly this one, and ways we can prevent that. And because I care for other people and because I'm hopefully not, not selfish, I'll do something that I, I'll do whatever I can to care for other people. And in this case, it means wearing a mask and staying inside and limiting contact with people so they don't get sick from me and, and so that I don't get sick from them. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, I think we can separate those two concepts from uh, a molecular or scientific perspective, but also apply meaning to Psalm 91, that <clears throat> if God is actually protecting us, that could be in the form of me caring for you and mm -hmm. making sure that you're safe and that I'm safe. And that's how God manifests in mm -hmm. my mind today. Mm -hmm. Oh, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation, Nina and I, Paris. I think you've converted thank me. You. I think I'm converted, Paris. <laughs> <laughs> I tell my students that I'm atheist or agnostic depending on the day, but I don't know. I think I might be, I think I might be Andrewist today. We'll see. <laughs> hey, I have one more um, topic, sorry, not topic, but announcement rather for our listeners. And that's what's happening next week. Paris, we've got a big date happening next week. What is it? Uh, we've got our second IA day. So you've got that to look forward to guys. Yay. Um, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. The one piece of advice I want to give you is if yes. you haven't done so yet, start collecting objects or evidence. Objects. Please do that. Yes. Yes. And the best advice that I've heard is look at evidence that has influenced or affected your knowledge. So you're not just picking up like the blue chair in our classroom. You're picking up something that's like, oh yeah, this changed my mind or this opened my perspective or this, this broadened my view of something or right. something like that. Not so much.
but not symbolic. Yeah, we'll get we'll get more into that. I know, I know, we will. Thank you so so much for that. It really really is uh, so great that you could join us halfway across the world at a completely uh, odd time for you to join us. So really really thank you for that. Appreciate it so much. It was it was my pleasure. Thank you both very much for having me. Thank you. You're a star. <laughs> Bye. All right, guys. Stay Bye. safe. Be kind. See Bye. you soon. See you. See ya. Bye. 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 Bye.